Good morning. A uh, quick straw poll. How many of you, raise your hands if you believe in angels. Oh, it's not as tough a crowd as I thought. That's good. From the Bible stories that we learn at an early age, angels have featured throughout religious teaching. Those benevolent celestial beings who act as intermediaries between God or heaven and humanity carrying out God's task as a messenger or protector. Catholic priest Thomas Rosica from North America says, angels are very important because they provide people with an articulation of the conviction that God is intimately involved in human life. One angel that perhaps you're not so familiar with and one that from Earth's very beginnings has never been able to have that biblical influence on humanity is the angel of history. Walter Benjamin was a German Jewish philosopher and in 1915, he wrote, history rests awaiting discovery. And six years later, in 1921, Benjamin bought this naive, goofy little angel that you see on the top of the service sheet and here on the screen. Uh, it's a monoprint made by uh, the artist Paul Clay, who was prominent in the Bauhaus movement. And Clay called it his Angelus Novus, or New Angel. Hovering in eternity with hair-like scrolls of papyrus, eyes wide open, and wings that look far too flimsy to even bear the weight of this scrawny messenger from heaven. It is this angel that Benjamin looked upon as his own angel of history, and it's the starting point for my talk today. From the moment Walter Benjamin first created his concept of the angel of history, the theme repeatedly appeared throughout his writings, from the time of creation, the Big Bang, or... Genesis, depending on your viewpoint, Benjamin's philosophical point was that his angel had been flung from heaven by a violent storm, facing backwards but always traveling into the future. In 1940, in his thesis on the philosophy of history, he wrote this of Clay's painting. This is how one pictures the angel of history. His face is turned toward the past, where we perceive a chain of events he sees one single catastrophe which keeps piling wreckage upon wreckage and hurls it in front of his feet. The angel would like to stay, awaken the dead, and make whole what has been smashed, but a storm is blowing from paradise. It has got caught in his wings with such violence that the angel can no longer close them. The storm irresistibly propels him into the future to which his back is turned while the pile of debris before him grows skyward. This storm is what we call progress. As sentient human beings, we are all too aware of the pain and suffering inflicted on both humankind and nature throughout history. Uh, we recognize it in lives lost through war and violence, through famine or disease, uh, our natural environment damaged, sometimes irreparably. Yet hard as it is, and hard as it has always been to bear witness to these things, somehow within the grand arc of history that Benjamin describes, there is such an innate powerful force within the human spirit which continues to give us hope and an ever-renewed continuing search for better tomorrows. And this spirit is our very life. From Genesis chapter 7, every living thing has the breath of the spirit of life. Or from Job chapter 33, the spirit of God has made me and the breath of the Almighty gives me life. And it is this sanctity for life that the word of God instills in us time and again and it is in constant reignition of hope 
that the example of Jesus and his teachings become so apparent that eternal life will conquer death, that love will conquer hate. In returning to life three days after his crucifixion, in making his physical reacquaintance with his disciples and looking them in the eye, Jesus knew that his instruction to them to go and proclaim his word was sending those men, his friends, to their martyrdom. But in mortal terms, as we have so often witnessed throughout history, that is a price that men and women have selflessly paid to fulfill the promise of hope. From the Great Commission, the instruction at Galilee of the resurrected Jesus to his 11 remaining disciples to spread his teachings to all nations of the world, one could also read Jesus' words then as a metaphor for hope itself. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Emily Dickinson's poem that Helen read encapsulates that same sense of the indomitable spirit of hope that resides within women and men's very being. Hope is a thing with feathers that perches in the soul and sings the tune without the words and never stops at all. Sadly for Benjamin, his death proved to be a tragic negation of his own theory. Uh, as a secular Jew rather than a man of religion, in September 1940, he committed suicide while fleeing Nazism, uh, whose, whose military victory at that point appeared in, in stop, unstoppable. Perhaps Benjamin's heart told him that his angel of history would one day see progress from the nightmare engulfing the world then. But his great mind, his rationale, told him that all was lost. Sometimes even a flicker of hope can be momentarily, momentarily extinguished in a man's soul and darkness can become all-consuming. Had Benjamin been a man of religion rather than a secular Jew, the transcendental dimension of a faith and all that that engenders in one may yet have saved him. Ultimately, in Walter Benjamin's case, we will never know. What we do know is despite those forces of evil then, and despite other conflicts since then, progress has continued. Yes, looking backwards, the pile of debris grows ever higher, but we still move inexorably forward. Advances in healthcare, technological change, extended human lifespan are but three examples from numerous progressive changes we could name. And yes, there are days when it sometimes does not seem that way. Times when listening to the words of those in power, we fear a return to dark days. But hope and reason will eventually prevail, singing that tune without the words, never ceasing. However, now we are fully aware of the existential crisis facing humanity as a result of the climate emergency. One could legitimately ask the question, progress? Really? 51 years ago, 51 years ago in 1968, uh, this photograph was taken by one of the astronauts, astronauts on Apollo 8. It was sent up to photograph the moon in preparation for the moon landing, which, as we, as we all know, took place one year later. 1968 was a year when history seemed in a state of great turmoil, later described by historians as a watershed year. The Prague Spring had led to the Soviet tanks invading Czechoslovakia. The Nigerian Civil War saw images of starving Biafran children filling news channels and news pages of the world. Revolutionary student protests ricocheted across the globe, threatening the social order. And in the USA alone, Martin Luther King had been assassinated. Robert Kennedy had been assassinated. 
and the United States was fighting in a bitter war that they would later lose in Vietnam. And then, near that unsettled year's end, on December 24th, on Christmas Eve itself, Earthrise. This photo was taken and has since then been viewed billions of times by people across the globe. Earthrise is said to be the most important photo ever taken in the 20th century. It was the first time in history that men and women on this tiny planet had been able to look back across the universe and see the, themselves from afar. Astronaut Bill Anders, who, uh, Bill Anders, who took the photo, said this at the time. Once distant places appeared inseparably close. Borders that once rendered division vanished. All of humanity appeared joined together on this glorious but fragile sphere. Here was everything humans had been, everything we were and everything we might become. And yet our home planet was phys physically insignificant in space. I thought of my wife and five children on that little planet. The same forces that determined their fates worked on the other three and a half billion inhabitants. We set out to explore the moon and instead we discovered the earth. From that one photo, the fragility of our earth became immediately obvious. Mother Earth's true state can literally be seen as oceanic, atmospheric and so, so vulnerable. The fragility of our planet, made evident by that image, is said to have launched the ecological movement, then that has evolved through many forms since, from James Lovelock's theory of Gaia, through the establishment of Greenpeace, to the selfless and urgent activism of Extinction Rebellion today. The reading that we heard from Luke tells of Jesus' answer to the unnamed person in the crowd demanding a judgment from the prophet that he tells the same man's brother to divide his family's inheritance. And Jesus replies, take care, be on your guard against all kinds of greed for one's life does not consist in the abundance of possessions. And later in that same passage that Don read, God says, you fool, this very night your life is being demanded of you. And the things you have prepared, whose will they be? So it is with those who store up treasures for themselves, but are not rich towards God. Yes, of course, that parable is a reference to us as human beings needing more than immediate possessions to give reasons to our lives. But I think it is also saying, looking 2,000 years into the future and prophesying, that those of us that are more fortunate on earth need no more treasures. Instead, we need to be beneficent, beneficent towards our planet now in peril. Our planet is the most vital inheritance from our antecedents, and it's the most precious gift we can hand on to our descendants. 50 years after taking this photo on Christmas Eve of 2018, Bill Anders wrote, Earthrise, the lingering imprint of our mission stands sentinel. It reminds us that distance and borders and division are merely a matter of perspective. We are all linked in a joint human enterprise. We are bound to a planet we must all share. We are altogether stewards of this fragile treasure. Angela's Novus, the new angel, reveals to us that moments in history remain dormant until a new circumstance makes them understandable and pertinent. Walter Benjamin wrote this just before his suicide. Suddenly and unexpectedly, a past moment may become meaningful to a present that has the means to grasp its deepest character. 
The opportunities for this may be very brief, and we ought to presume that more often than not, they pass us by. But when they are seized by a society, or perhaps by an individual, something like a time tunnel appears to connect two moments, present and past. So in the guise of the burgeoning movement, especially among the young, against the climate emergency, I think those past moments have become that meaningful present. Young people have had the vision to grasp the deepest character of what could befall us all. And they are using all their resources of imagination and modern technology and innate spirit combined to behave in a responsible manner to this endangered earth, acting in Anders' words as stewards to this fragile treasure. Elizabeth Becker is an American writer and she made a trip to see Paul Clay's Angelus Novice in person housed in the Israel Museum in Jerusalem just, just before Christmas of 2018. The precious artwork is mostly stored in the basement, uh, protected from the light. And after seeing it, Becker wrote this. As humans, we practice a sort of temporal deviance, inhabiting the fallacy that the here and now is dis disconnected from our before or after, and that time moves in a linear way towards an end. I, called by the angel that once called to water Benjamin, came face to face with Angelus Novus for the first and likely last time. I looked into the eyes of that fallen angel, its wings unable to take flight, eyes that Benjamin once studied with care and resignation in this tragic search for redemption. The new angel, also the angel of history, teaching me in a single glance, not that history repeats itself, but that the fullness of history remains within us if only we choose to look it in the eye. As the angel of history has traveled us, with us more recently, looking backwards over the first 20 years of this new century, like us, he is all too aware of the wreckage upon wreckage that we have witnessed in that time, raising up that pile of debris. But the angel is mere witness to our history and we are active participants in it. So the message I leave you with is not one of despair for our world, but one of a real sense of hope. These last 20 years of which I spoke have seen dark days, and they may get darker yet, but light also shines within those shadows across so many areas, culture, politics, art, religion, women at last seem to be throwing off the constraints of patriarchy and starting to take their rightful place on the world stage. Thought and actions to turn over the tables in the temple for example, are emerging from Jacinda Ardern in New Zealand, Greta Thunberg in Europe, Alexandra Ocasio-Cortez in America, and many, many more besides. For far too long, women's voices have, with rare exceptions, been kept silent, but now they are beginning to be heard. And if half of humanity now begins to speak, with voices reflecting the potent attributes of nurture and care that we associate with the feminine in parallel with Jesus' powerful message of love, then I believe that ever-growing chorus will be heard by God and by man. Angela's novice has to remain in the dark to keep it from fading away. I sense the time has come for humanity to commission a new artwork, an Angela's feminine, or angel of her story, so that she can begin her own journey above Mother Earth, progressing forwards into our history to come. Amen.